Hello and welcome to this latest Fraser Allender podcast. This is the latest in our series of election podcasts where we're looking at summarising the issues that have come up in the campaign this week um, and also talking about the analysis we've produced and other data that's been published which are pertinent to the main issues. My name is Mary Spowage and I'm joined today by my colleagues David Iser and Emma Congreve. Um, we'll be putting out a number of um, analyses over the next week or so on sort of themes that have come up in all of the main parties' manifestos. Now that we've got them all, um, Scottish Labour was the, was the last one, last main party to publish their manifesto yesterday. Um, so coming to you first, David, um, what, what can you say about the main um, policies that the parties have discussed on, on tax? Um, well, I think the sort of core conclusion that we came to looking at across the party's proposals on taxes um quite how similar the parties are in terms of how they propose to use the existing uh, tax powers of the scottish parliament so none of them propose to use income tax to alter the size of the budget they're all proposing to freeze uh, income tax rates and bans um i guess where there is most obviously differences in relation to council tax um where i mean as we know this is a, a tax that's based on uh property values that are 30 years out of date and that's really the big issue that that needs to be resolved there are other issues as well the tax isn't um uh well it's regressive with respect to property value and income um but the Conservatives aren't up for doing anything on that. The SNP might be, but they're basically sort of punting the issue into the future by proposing to set up a, um, uh, a citizens panel or whatever it's called to, to consider the issue. Um, the three uh, less, um, the, the three other parties, the, the, the Greens, Labour and Lib Dems, they are more up for replacing council tax um with either a property uh, value tax or a land value tax um but whether anything happens on that in the next parliament we'll have to see and beyond that i mean there are some interesting proposals kicking around on some of the more uh, minor taxes if you like um but they're they're they're, they're fairly at the margins of things and what about um social security as well as significant tax powers that have been devolved during the the last parliament there's also been significant significant social security powers so coming to you emma what are the main proposals the parties are, are looking at on social security yeah so looking across the manifestos there's definitely some consensus on things that need to change and and as with as with tax there are issues that all the parties are coming up with something slightly different on so the main consensus is on um, a relatively new uh, benefit that's just been introduced into Scotland called the Scottish Child Payment. And every party would like to see the amounts available through that benefit um, doubled at some point over the next parliamentary term. So it's currently a £10 a week top up that um, those who are eligible for universal credit with children get for each child. Um, it's currently just for under sixes, but that will um, roll out to all children under 16 um, in the next couple of years. So that's um, a pledge that's very much focused on trying to tackle child poverty, um, of which the parliament has some statutory targets um, in place for 2022-20, uh, no sorry, 2023-24. Um, 
even that doubling of the Scottish child payment won't get um, us all the way to that um, that target, but it will certainly help in, in that. There's also um, a bit of a consensus that at least something needs to be done on on support for unpaid carers. And this is another um, newly devolved power on um, its transferred carers allowance from DWP to, to the Scottish government. Um, there's already been some changes made. There's a supplement that exists in Scotland, which um, pays out lumps and payments to increase the generosity to those who are eligible for carers allowance. But there are pledges from each of the parties um, to make more changes to that um, in different ways. Um, some of them want to make it more generous, others are looking at changing some of the eligibility. Interestingly, with this, with this, um, with this benefit, any change to it appears to have some ramifications for um, well, through kind of the, the fiscal framework mechanisms, because changing support for it in Scotland, either eligibility um, and to some extent rates has a kind of spillover into the operation of other benefits in in the rest of the UK you know if you're eligible for carence allowance you, you tend to be eligible for other benefits in the reserve benefit system as well so there does need to be um, negotiation and agreement with DWP over the next parliament on on this to to agree how it works um which you know will be quite interesting because this is sort of un, untried untested um on the on the social security side. Looking at some of the other areas, um, only Labour really have much to say about disability assistance in terms of, of actually changing the way that system um, works. Again, it's a, it's a newly devolved benefit. Um, and taking a step back, um, actually <laughs> um, four out of five parties talk up um, the concept of a, of a universal basic income. So that's not just tinkering around the edges, that's, that's changing the whole system completely um, to make it into something where um, every um, person in Scotland will get a payment. Um, and you know, quite a lot of the existing social security infrastructure would go in order to make way for that. However, there's very little detail from the parties as to actually what that would be, like what level it will be set at um, and we don't have the powers in Scotland to implement it at the moment because we don't have all the social security infrastructure here so it's it's not going to happen in the next parliamentary term um, but it's interesting that there is that kind of um, you know movement towards that at least in the way what parties are talking about one thing that could happen though in the next parliament is um, I guess it's sort of a distant cousin of universal basic income in a way um, and it's some some sort of uh, minimum income guarantee or minimum income standard that different parties um, you know have slightly different names for it. I think the SNP, Labour and the Greens all talk about it and and basically it, it would be using the current social security system to set some kind of minimum income floor so that nobody falls below it. Um, some argue that universal credit is that system, <laughs> um, but um, but obviously um, there are you know sanctions and and non-eligibility for that system, which means some people do do sort of fall through the cracks on it. Um, so so that's something to watch in is the next parliamentary term. I guess there's hope that it could be implemented with with the current powers that exist, and there's a range of other um, sort of ideas that some of the parties come up with um, the green um sorry that Scottish Labour want something that um can uh, go to over 75 to cover the cost of the TV license which they've recently become, become um liable for and um a hundred pound rebate for every family um 
paid out of Scottish water reserves, which is a bit of a, um, a, a new a new idea. <laughs> so, um, so there's plenty to look at on social security, as you'd hope, given uh, the devolution of new powers over the last parliament. Um, and we'll be putting something up on a website later today that covers all of this. Thanks, Emma. Yeah, um, some of these discussions are really interesting, as you say, um, particularly the, the consensus for, well, amongst four of the parties around um, exploring um, a universal basic income of some form. Um, but you're right, it, it's, there isn't very much detail either on, on the level of that or, or, or what it would be for, um, you know, what are the po policy objectives of that, which is really important in terms of the, the sort of the, the, the version or the, the flavour of, of, of basic income that you might look at um, implementing. But as you say, not something that's going to be able to happen in the next parliament. Um, so all of um, these pledges obviously come with a cost, um, you know, um, and uh, there is a, a particular fiscal envelope within which the next Scottish government will be working within. Um, David, just coming to you, um, you know, how does it look in terms of the overall spend profiles in, um, in the policy areas from the different parties? Um, well, it looks at the, at the moment, basically, what we think the outlook for the Scottish budget is that it will increase about 2% a year in real terms, which is actually a stronger increase than we saw in the last parliament. And in fact, it's quite likely that the increase actually ends up being a bit more than that, because it's quite likely that the UK government will uh, need to announce further spending uh for england which would generate further consequentials for scotland so the outlook on one level the outlook for the budget is uh, better than it has been in recent times um it's quite difficult to assess um the impact of the party's commitments on unprotected areas of spend because in nearly all cases the parties have given really uh pretty limited and ad hoc information on the detail of their uh, commitments in terms of spending and therefore it's it's not really possible to say uh, to what extent these commitments might impinge on other unprotected areas of spending. I mean it's certainly the case that most parties, in fact all parties, uh, have left large areas of public spending without any specific commitments. So, for example, universities and colleges and prisons, and in most cases, local uh, government, and in all cases, all kinds of economic development agencies, environment type agencies, none of these um, have uh, any sort of commitments in any of the manifestos. So those, those areas might sort of be a bit nervous about what's implied by some of the manifestos in terms of what the impact might be. Uh, on them. But it's difficult to assess that, partly because of the lack of information uh, in, in all manifestos other than perhaps the Conservatives, although the Conservatives still haven't costed quite everything um, and haven't really commented on, on what might happen to these unprotected areas. So it is difficult for that and, it's, and, it, and we do need to bear in mind that there is uncertainty over the outlook for the budget as well. Um, so overall, a lot of uncertainty, really, on the costing side of things. Yeah, that's fair. And we, we, we've 
get asked a lot of questions about um, you know, all, all of the spending commitments in the different manifestos and you know whether they're quote unquote sustainable or you know there'll be money to fund them within the, the budget um, and the point about manifestos I suppose is they're not budgets we don't see what the plans are for every single spending line um, because um, obviously <laughs> understandably parties want to focus on, on where they're going to spend more money or you know um, do extra things rather than the bits that they're going to cut maybe that they might need to fund that um, so it is quite difficult, as you say, to, to, to work out um, what the implications might be for the areas that aren't focused on or aren't talked about. Um, okay, thanks very much, uh, David, for that. Um, as, uh, as Emma touched upon, we'll be putting up papers on our website today, which explores these uh, issues in much more detail. So if you're interested in, in digging through all of that and, and having a look at what we're saying, um, they'll be on our website for you to have a look at. So um, we're going to talk a little bit later in the podcast about what's coming up next week um, and also some of the other projects that we're working on. For now, though, um, we'll welcome a guest contributor to our podcast this week. So we're going to hear today from Alf Young, who's a columnist with The Times in Scotland. Alf, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Do you just want to tell our listeners a little bit about um, the sort of writing that you do for The Times in Scotland? I'm quite an old uh, columnist for the Times. I've been writing columns for this year, 40 years. The first one I wrote ever was in 1981. So for 40 years, I've been writing columns uh, about business and about the economy and uh, companies in Scotland. Uh, so I've got quite a big hinterland to draw back on. Yeah, so um, you must be um, looking at this uh, election campaign and thinking about previous election campaigns and kind of how it compares. Now, many people have said this has been a campaign like no other because of the obvious um, economic crisis that we're hopefully emerging from and the pandemic and so on. But what are your thoughts? Uh, what have your thoughts been on the, the issues that have kind of been covered in the campaign so far? We've obviously now got all of the main manifestos published. Um, and maybe issues that, that you thought might be more prominent that haven't been discussed so much? Well, I think inevitably, because of COVID and the restrictions and everything else, it's been a difficult campaign to fight at all. But my uh, instincts, having watched it reasonably closely, is that it's not really covering some of the critical things that need to be covered. You know, we're coming out of COVID, we've spent all this money trying to combat COVID and develop vaccines and put in all the kind of protection equipment that's needed. And here we are uh, coming out of it, needing to resuscitate the economy uh, and get things something back to something approaching normal. And uh, it seems to me that the thing that's really not getting covered to any extent at all in the campaign by any of the parties is the economic landscape. Yeah. It's about how do you get back from lockdown and furlough and all the other horrible things that have happened and back to a functioning, growing economy that provides jobs for people? Yeah, I mean, there's obviously um, there's some, some initiatives um, proposed by different parties in terms of reskilling. Um, and there are a number of obviously UK government schemes as well um, that are, um, are sort of kicking off, <laughs> like uh, the kickstart scheme over the next few months. Um, so I, mean, I suppose there are some schemes that are, are around, but do you just not think it's being given the kind of focus that, um, that maybe should be in the campaign? I think the problem is that they're, they're trying to do things, but they're trying to do them through organisational and institutional change. 
uh, or rather they're trying to do it through organisational proliferation. You're getting more and more bodies being created to come in and do bits and pieces of the recovery. I mean, we've, we've already got all sorts of uh, economic uh, advisory bodies. We've got Council of Economic Advisors. We had the Higgins Review uh, last year. Um, and we're now getting uh, a, a proposal for an economic transformation uh, council. Now, I don't know what an economic transformation council would do. I mean, if, if, if politicians can't come up with the kind of things that they think would deliver a transformation, then they shouldn't be in politics. Uh, and I just don't think that having a few uh, worthies on a council giving them advice how to do it is the right way either. I mean, I think, I think politics builds uh, uh, progress through much smaller steps. And they also build progress by actually valuing the organisations that they do create. Now the, the, the strategy seems to be not just uh, uh, improve the, the bodies that you've got around you and give you advice, but create even more bodies and even more agencies, chop them up, have even more of them. Uh, it's happening to the enterprise agencies, it's happened to all sorts of areas. And frankly, I don't think it's got a chance of working. It's interesting you mentioned the, the Higgins review, um, and, and obviously there was an update to that um, before the election campaign kicked off. Um, and one of the, um, the one of the main areas of focus of that seemed to be around um, the relationship between government and the kind of private sector and business and sort of the understanding of business within within government. It, it is notable that quite a few of the parties have, have proposed new initiatives to get more involvement from, from business um, and designing policy um, about the economy. Um, you know, quite a few of the parties have particular proposals on that. Um, do you have any thoughts on those proposals? I, th I think there's been a growing problem of the relationship between all the parties and business people uh, in the business community and people with vocal voices in the business community. And my impression from talking to, because I still talk to quite a lot of people that I've known all these years um, and keep in touch with how they're feeling. Uh, I even go to a lunch club uh, where a, a number of them go as well and I see them. Uh, and I get a sense from that, that there's a growing disenchantment, disconnect between politics in general and the business community. They think they're not being listened to. I mean, I think I'd qualify that by saying, I think they do think that a lot of the interventions, the exceptional fiscal interventions to try and keep the economy actually half functioning through the COVID crisis is a good thing and is well welcomed by lots of people, although obviously in areas like hospitality uh, and areas like that that are suffering most and having the chance of reopening later than anywhere else. I think there are a lot of people uh, who, who feel it's not being done quite correctly. But I think there's a, an acknowledgement in general for that. What I don't think there is, is uh, any sense in the business community that the politicians in devising their strategies for growing a better economy, a greener economy, a more uh, inclusive economy, whichever adjectives you want to uh, attach to it, that the things that people are coming up with 
aren't bad. They're just a proliferation of talking shops. So, so we've got a couple of weeks left in the campaign, Alf. Um, what's your expectation for the sorts of issues that might come up? Do you think there'll be, be more issues that arise that haven't, haven't been discussed so far um, with uh, two weeks to go to the election? I don't see any uh, sense on, in any of the parties that the, they're interested in widening the agenda. I mean, we started off really with the whole thing being focused on do we or don't we have another referendum? Do we or don't we? Uh, put the constitutional question to the public vote and, and make a decision on that, to actually beginning to talk about other things. But I don't have any sense that these other things are actually engaging with the key question, which is having had this sudden shuddering halt to the economy through COVID, that any there is any credible platform out there that says, we know how to fix this. We know how to get the, the economy back on its feet and motoring again for the good of everyone. Okay, thanks Alf um, uh, and thanks very much for joining us today. Okay. So there's been a lot of economic data that's come out this week um, which um, continues to um, tell us about how we're recovering from, from the pandemic. Um, one of those uh, pieces of economic data was the latest labour market statistics which came out on Tuesday. Um, we published a piece on that um, on our website. I guess broadly, um, the issue is that labour market data continues to not really show the impacts um, of the pandemic to date. Um, unemployment remains fairly low um, by historical standards, um, although though it's, it's slightly up on the kind of the, the record lows that we saw um, during 2019. But there are a number of other indicators which show that there are um, significant amounts, uh, fewer people on payroll, um, and there are other indicators um, which kind of give us a feel for um, what might be coming down the track um, as the job retention scheme is unwound. We've also published other analysis this week on underemployment um, and its links to poverty. Um, what this is discussing is that it's not just about obviously people having a job, but also um, the number of hours that they have, um, uh, they've been able to work. And there is some evidence that um, even if people have been able to retain their job, that their hours have been curtailed during the period of the pandemic. Um, we've also published our latest uh, data on uh, what real-time indicators are saying about the Scottish economy. And alongside this, we had the latest statistics on uh, GDP in Scotland, which kind of as expected showed a very um, small amount of growth um, in February. Um, and so we would hope that this would start to um, accelerate as um, we move into April and May and restrictions start to ease significantly. However, we are still well below pre-pandemic levels um, of output um, and uh, the predictions for when we might get back to that sort of level um, still range from around a year's time to maybe even two or three years time, depending on which forecaster you look at. We've also published some information this week on um, a new project that we're working on, on the fiscal framework. Now, um, we talk a lot about the fiscal framework at the Fraser Valander Institute, um, and we're aware <laughs> that not everybody is, is, is quite as interested in the technical detail as we are. Um, but, but David, given you're working on it, do you think for our listeners, could you, could you broadly say what the fiscal framework is um, and what the project is that you're working on? Um, to look at it. 
Yeah, sure. I mean, I think in some ways this project is broader than just the the fiscal framework in the sort of narrow sense of the the borrowing rules and block grant rules. This project is really about how the devolved governments in the UK um, are funded. So it's not just Scotland, but it's also looking at Wales and Northern Ireland. And it's really uh, thinking about the the whether the way in which they're funded has um, effectively supported the devolved governments to manage the COVID pandemic, uh, or whether there are any ways in which the funding framework has sort of constrained the devolved governments in their ability to respond to the pandemic. So it is um, it is a lot about you know how the block grants are calculated. Um, and how the block grants are adjusted to reflect tax devolution and so on. But it, it also will touch on questions about um, the, the devolution settlement more generally and, and what role the devolved governments have in shaping some of the sort of UK-wide policies that might be reserved in a technical sense, but do very much influence the ability of the devolved governments to deliver policy in devolved um, areas. So that's basically what the, the project is about. And we uh, had a report out on Thursday this week that was very much the sort of starting point for the project. The project only started a few weeks ago, but we wanted to put out a report that sort of set out the issues that we're going to be looking at over the course of the next year. Um, so. The, the background to, to what we're doing and why is in that report. And over the next year, we'll be looking at those issues in more detail and thinking about, are there ways in which the devolved government's funding settlements could be um, changed or improved that would um, make them better able to deal with these kind of pandemic shocks in the future, or that might uh, enable them to uh, support the recovery from this pandemic more effectively. Thanks for that, David. Um, so you can look out for um, from further reports from that that project as the year progresses, um, and I imagine it will be of interest to um, to lots of those who um, will be, be um, following what might happen through the fiscal framework review that will be going on for for the Scots for the Scottish fiscal framework, um, which should begin uh, later in twenty twenty one. So in terms of uh, what's happening next um, for us uh, on the manifestos and the election coverage, over the next uh, week, we'll be publishing further papers, um, including looking at uh, the policies for economic recovery um, and uh, supporting the labour market, and also um, the policies that are being proposed around child poverty. So, so look out for that in the next week or so, um, and we'll have our, um, our final, our final uh, podcast in our series of election podcasts um, next week. You can find all of the analysis that we're doing um, around the election and all of the other projects we're working on at our website, uh, FraserofAllender.org. Um, in the meantime, we'll see you next time for the next Fraser of Allender podcast. <laughs>